Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Open the Bible together. About seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. I was at a tangi, as you know, this week. And there in the, ta- at the tangi is, um, is a, a, a casket, a coffin with a body in there. And what do we say about that? What, what, what does the Bible teach us about what happens when we die? What, ha- what does the Bible teach us about how to think about death, especially as a, as a believer? All right. And um, I want to, I don't want to assume that you know it all. And I don't want to assume you know nothing. This is an opportunity to uh, let a passage of scripture um, speak to us, teach us how to think about um, what awaits us in the future, every single one of us. Um, and we're going to do that with the passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're ever wanting to know about the resurrection or what happens when we die, 1 Corinthians 15 is your go to place. And the Apostle Paul is midway through a conversation about what happens when we die, the resurrection of the dead. And so he, he says this, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ, uh, for stars differ from star and glory. So it is, With the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Father, we thank you for these ancient words penned for our benefit, penned, Lord, so that we might uh, know what to believe and how to think. And we pray, Lord, as we consider them and think about this whole topic, you'd guide our conversation, you'd guide our thoughts into truth, and we'd walk from here, Lord, um, with with clear heads and full hearts about what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... uh, it's an opportunity now to let this passage speak to us a little bit and think a little bit clearly about this. Um, I want to say that um, there are there are lots of people who speculate about what life is like beyond the grave, and there's books written and things. Uh, over history, Christians have had a fairly been they've been restrained in what they've said about it because the Bible doesn't paint a super clear picture. Okay, and 
Um, an example of this would be the Apostles' Creed. Uh, a few years ago, we, we did a series and we looked through the Apostles' Creed. It's not because we believe it's scripture, but we believe it was a very early summary in the church, a very early summary of core Christian doctrines, all right? The Bible's a big book. How do we, how do we get a handle on what the, what the main things are that we believe without getting into the weeds? The, the Apostles' Creed was a wonderful way of summarizing the faith. And in the Apostles' Creed, um, it says this. You, you, some of you, anyone been to a church that says this every Sunday? Some, some people have to, so some churches say this every Sunday. Um, it's my habit and my prayers to be uh, working through this creed every day. And just, um, it's the, the little thing I'm doing at the moment. And it's, um, it's, it's good for me, I believe. And it's, and so what do, what have Christians for 2000 years or sort of 80, 1900 years said about, about death? Well, the Apostles Creed has a couple of things. It says that it starts off, I believe in God, the father, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, and then it tells us about his life, that he's our Lord and our Savior, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, died, and he was buried, he descended to the dead, okay, so Jesus really died, and the next line is, on the third day he rose again, all right? This was, the, as they composed the creed in those early days, they thought, what do we want to go in here? It's really important that we stick that Jesus came out of the grave, all right? They felt that's really important to put in there. and. He rose again and he ascended into heaven. Those are two different things. Two different things. Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven. Don't, don't mix those two things together. He came to life again and sometime later, he also ascended to heaven. Some people think, yeah, of course, Jesus was resurrected. He got resurrected out of the grave into heaven. No, he got resurrected in a body. He got resurrected to life. And after that, he ascended to heaven. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Okay. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is now. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So Christians, just this is a little aside, Christians have never been really dogmatic over the history of the church in terms of a, you know, what are the big rocks of what we believe, have never been dogmatic about what the end is going to look like. But they have been dogmatic that Jesus is coming back. Okay. We don't know, uh, we're not going to be too dogmatic on what kind of coming it will be, how that coming will look. But the church has been consistent. Every church, every Orthodox Christian church has said, we don't quite know, we don't quite agree with each other on what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. But we do agree on this. Jesus is coming back. Okay, so that's, that's sort of foundational. Next, next uh, line, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This is the final part. This is the final paragraph of the creed. The Holy Catholic Church, and Angus explained to us earlier, that's not talking about the Catholic Church down on um, down the road. There, it's talking about Catholic, and the Catholic means universal. I believe I believe in the the church, the church down through history, and and what God is doing in the world is through the church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the here it is, the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the body, okay, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's the creed. Some of you could have stood up and recited that without looking at it because you've said it every Sunday in a previous church. But that's, that's the idea. From the earliest days of the church, they deemed it an essential doctrine that the body is a resurrection of the body. So just look at your hand right now. It's, it's flesh and blood, hopefully. Probably like me, it's got a, few, got a skin knuckle here and there. It's a bit sore. But um, it's a very physical thing, your hand, a very physical thing. And the church has always confessed that there will be one day a physical resurrection of our bodies. Okay, we're going to think a little bit about that. 
Now, the idea that something lies beyond the grave is not unique to Christianity. If there are some religions around the world, and, and all of them have some sense that this can't be all that there is. This can't be. And so different religions have tried to answer the question of what happens when someone stops breathing, they breathe their last, and they die. What happens then? Well, there's different religions have answered it in different ways. Some believe that, well, you just, you, this world is an endless cycle and you get recycled as something else. You know, you, you come back to life again in some other form. You might be a person if you're lucky or you might be a dog or if, you, you know, if, if it's terrible, you'll be a rat or something. Um, but there's this reincarnation. Your life, your life just goes on. There's this endless cycle. And maybe you'll skip out of it one day if you live a really good life and you'll go to some place called Nirvana, from which I understand means um, nothing. <laughs> Nothing's going on. Okay, so the, the goal is somehow to get to some place where you're not reincarnated anymore. That's one, guys. Some people, um, some people think you die and you become one with the, the force of the universe, whatever that is. Some people believe, you know, if uh, you ask the Viking what happens when you die or if you've been a good Viking, you go, and, you go to Valhalla and, you know, feast with the gods or something like this. Everyone... What, what I'm trying to say here is that every religion down through history has had a sense that this can't be the end. There has to be something beyond it. And they've answered that question in, in various ways. Um, we might tra- we, we, we begin a journey, journey to our ancestors or something like that. There's all sorts of answers. And that's even true, even though we live in New Zealand in 2023, and our culture is like badged as, hey, we're a secular culture. We're a secular culture. For a secular culture, if you go to any funeral, you go to any funeral, you, you, you know, when we, and, uh, we're, we're secular materialists. So we, if you're not sure what that means, we're in a culture that believes we came from nothing. There was a big bang. Then there was something. And it's all this big accident. And eventually it's all going to die and heat death one day. And it's all going to be meaningless. That's the culture we live in. We live, we live in a, a culture that says we're a big accident. and the purpose of history, there is no purpose. It's an accident. It's going to be meaningless in the end. Even though that's the case, you go to a funeral in our culture, whether a person believes in God or not, they will start reaching for language when they're sharing about their loved one that, that hints that somewhere deep inside, they, they, hope, they hope that there's something beyond the grave. There's this longing. There's a, it comes out. You cannot suppress it. You go to a funeral and someone will say something like, they they're with their loved ones now. They're in a better place. And this is a secular culture. We're saying, we say this out loud and everyone nods their heads. Yes. And, and I'm not blaming anyone for saying those things. You know, he's up there having a cold one with the boys. What, what do people mean when they say those kinds of things? They, they are kind of, they're desperate, I think, to say it's, it's an appalling thought to think that's all there is. The co- you go in the coffin and she's over. It's an appalling thought. I want to reach for language that says there has to be more than this. And I don't blame people for, for saying things like that. Um, Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. God has lodged in our hearts the sense that there's, there's more to life than the here and now. And that, that comes out even in a secular society like ours. People kind of ache, ache for some sense, even if they don't know what's beyond the grave they kind of start to speak their hope that there's something beyond the grave. So lots of religions and worldviews have some kind of take on the afterlife, um, uh, that on life after death that's not unique to Christianity. What is unique, what is unique to the Christian faith, what is unique to those who belong to Jesus is the sense that there is a resurrection of the body. 
that there is a physical reality beyond the grave awaiting us. That's unique. The reconstitution of our physical bodies, yes, changed, yes, transformed, yes, glorified, yes, fitted for life in an eternal sense, but a physical body nonetheless. That's why Christians have always tended to bury. Okay? Now, we're, it's cheaper these days, I can tell you. In just a sheer cost terms, it's cheaper to cremate <laughs> than to bury. But historically, Christians have been, no, we bury our dead. We, we, we honor the body in that way because this body is what's going to come out of the grave one day. Okay? And, and I'm, not, I'm not making any aspersions on what you should do with your body when you die. I'm not saying, I'm just saying traditionally, Christians have chosen to bury. That's been a Christian thing to do. And, um, and if you, uh, you, go to, you go around the road and you look at an old church or you look at a cemetery, generally, um, generally it's facing east. Okay, churches face east to meet the sunrise, the buildings. This one doesn't. It's sort of, oh, we, actually, we are sort of facing east. Yeah. But um, when, when, in the old days when they built a church and you could sort of figure out where you want to plonk it on the site, they would, oh, which way is east? Boom. Everyone faces that way for church. And then out in the graveyard outside, you walk outside and there's all the graveyard beside the church. You know, in the old days, you walk past all the dead people as you go in. Which way is all the graves facing? The gravestones are facing east and the person is lying in the ground facing east, which is kind of that direction. And the idea is, we believe, we believe as we lay Uncle Fred to rest here, he believed in Jesus and he's going to come out of that grave one day. And, he want, and we want him to be ready to face Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is going to come like a sunrise and we want the person to come out like facing the sun. It's sort of a symbolic act. Christians have always believed that, um, that there is a physical resurrection and have buried their dead in that way. Now, three quick reasons why we believe in a physical resurrection. And these are... Uh, um, and are in ascending, import- ascending importance, maybe. Number one, God made a material world. When he, when he had his first go, when God thought, you know, what, what am I going to do with all my love and overflowing joy? He thought, I'll make a material world. And he made rocks and mountains. He made water. He made trees. He made bone. He made flesh. He made kneecaps and eyebrows. He made, he made physical things. And at the end of that whole creative process, what did God say about it all? Yeah, it's good. He didn't say, oh, it's okay. It'll, I guess it'll do for now. He stood back like God made and he made it good. And he stood back and he said, it's good. This physical stuff that I've made, this physical world that I've made is good. He called it very good. Not it'll do for the meantime. In other creation stories, if you sort of look at the ancient Near East at the same time as Moses wrote Genesis, there were all sorts of creation stories, but generally they were like the world wasn't created good. The world was the wasteland after the gods had a war. And the world was the world was the, the carcass of some god. And then then the gods made life form on it. And, and that's that's consistent all over the show. In those ancient stories, um material the material world was was not good. The material world was um, the detritus of the gods. It was the waste of the gods. Or, or the gods felt like entertainment and they created humans, gave them a stink life so they could sit back and laugh. All right, that's the ancient creation stories. But the God of the Bible, we are told, spoke creation into being out of overflowing love, out of wisdom. God didn't create because he was bored. God didn't create because he felt like um, making life hard for someone and watching. 
God didn't create because he'd been angry and he needed something to judge. God created a world because he was so full of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, overflowing in love. What do we do with this love? We're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna, erupting out of our love is this wonderful, glorious world, this universe with color and light and sunrises and coral reefs and beauty and all the goodness. And God stood back and he said, what I've made is very, very good. So it, it kind of makes sense that on the last day of history, and, and Christians believe history is going somewhere. It's not some endless cycle. On the last day of history, why on earth would we think that God would look at all that he's made and go, well, that was, that was a pretty good effort. It was fun while it lasted, but the experiment was ultimately a failure. I'm done with physical stuff. From here on out, it's just spirit. It's just spirit and ghostly existence because that's the pure existence. That's, that's not God. God is the God who overflows and creates a good world. All right? And on the last day, he doesn't go, that version one was useless. Version two will just be spirit. No, version two will be matter. Version two will be physical. Version two will be wonderful. It'll be even more material than we have experienced now. When we, think of, when we think of what awaits us in the future, don't think clouds and harps and a ghostly existence floating through the ether. Think a world more radically physical than the one we exist in now. It's going to be more physical, more matter, more weighty in glory. All right? So three reasons why we believe in a physical resurrection. Number one, God's into physical stuff. Okay? Number two, Jesus was raised as a body, okay? And Jesus was at pains. In, in Luke's gospel, I'm going to read a little bit to you. At pains to make sure his disciples got the point, okay? Look at me, said Jesus. I'm not a ghost, okay? I'm going to read it to you. Um, on the, he rose. He met with some guys on the road to Emmaus. Uh, they're all despairing. No, oh, Jesus died, and it's the end of it. It was a fun ride. Jesus seemed like a cool guy, but it, I guess it all was a sad story. He died. But Jesus starts appearing to people after his resurrection, and there's this kind of rumor out there that he's alive. Some of the disciples see Jesus. They come back to their friends and say, the Lord has actually risen. He's appeared to Simon. And they told everyone what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. While they were telling each other the story, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, peace to you. Peace to you. Why does he say peace? It's quite scary. <laughs> See, hang on. We saw you die. We saw you bound. We saw you put in that tomb and we saw the heavy stone rolled across it. And now you're standing here. That's scary. And Jesus speaks peace over that moment. So it's the first thing he does. Don't freak out. Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Do you, do you see that? They thought they saw a spirit but they didn't. They didn't. They saw Jesus. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and blood as you see that I have. And then they're like going, okay. Then when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, have you got anything to eat? Okay, now, 
these details aren't like for fun. It's like oh, the, the, the Luke wanted to add a more, bit more detail for fun. Luke is saying something very deliberate here. I'm not a ghost. Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and blood. I'm raised from the dead. I have flesh and blood. By the way, have you got anything to eat? So they, they said, yes. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he sat down and he ate it in front of them. Now, why on earth would you tell us that? Was, Jesus has a digestive system. <laughs> Jesus can eat food and enjoy it. Jesus in, the, in his resurrection body has flesh and blood that they can touch and can take a piece of fish and eat it and enjoy it. Okay? So we, we have a lot of speculation about what the resurrection world will be like. And it's all speculation. But one thing we know for sure, it, we will be like Jesus. He's our, he's, our one, he's our one clue as to what it will be like. And he had flesh and blood. He enjoyed a sunset. He enjoyed fish on the beach. He enjoys making a barbecue. Um, this, this is our second hint as to why we believe in a physical resurrection. It's, our resurrection is going to be just like Jesus. Okay? Jesus is raised in a physical body. Thirdly, the Bible plainly teaches, and teaches us that there's a physical resurrection. Okay, the baby Bible plainly teaches it. It's pretty backgrounded in the Old Testament, but Job said, "Hey, in my flesh I will see God." There's a little little hint there in the Old Testament. It's not big in the Old Testament, but the, the Old Testament saints seem to have this idea that there would be a flesh and blood existence with God. And Job said. I know that one day in my flesh, I will see God. Um, psalm 16 talks about, uh, is a, a psalm that's called a messianic psalm. It's kind of has, it has these echoes of what Jesus' life is going to be like. And it talks about Jesus not being left in the grave and his body not seeing corruption. His body would not rot in the grave. God is going to pull that body out. Okay, that's in Psalm 16. And the apostles grab a hold of that when they're talking about Jesus. In the new heavens and the new earth, if you read Isaiah, you'll start seeing images of having a feast. That that, that in the new heavens and the new earth, um, we're not in, we're not floating in clouds and we're not ghosts. There's going to be the best wine, and I fill at stake. Is is what I, is what Isaiah twenty six says. Um, the the best wine, I fill at stake, and um, feasting. There's going to be houses, vineyards. There's going to be sunny afternoons in a hammock, all right? These are all very physical physical things that the Scripture talks about when it talks about the coming resurrection glory. It's not, it's not clouds and harps. Forget the far side cartoon about what heaven's going to be like, all right? Now, Martha, now remember when we jump over to the New Testament, we've still got Old Testament people. Martha had no New Testament. Martha and Mary and remember that they had a friend called Lazarus and he died. Well, they had a brother called Lazarus and he died. And Martha and Mary send word to Jesus, quick, come, he's sick. You can raise him up. Uh, don't worry, Jesus. He's died. You're too late. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, do you believe he will be raised again? And she says, yeah, yeah, on the last day at the great resurrection, my, my brother will be raised again. So, now, remember, all she had is an Old Testament. Martha didn't have the Gospels. She didn't have, she didn't have 1 Corinthians. She didn't have the passage we could read. All she had is an Old Testament. And yet, here's an Old Testament believer saying, I know that one day at the end of time, there's going to be a great resurrection. 
So yes, Jesus, I do believe that my, my brother will be raised to life again. But Jesus was talking about something else. A nice surprise he was about to give her. Anyway, I won't go into that. All I'm saying is, in the Old Testament, you get a hint that there's this resurrection coming. But when you hit the New Testament, the apostles can't stop talking about it. They can't stop talking about it. Um, the apostolic preaching is full of resurrection language. Romans, I've got a whole bunch of references here. I won't go into them. For the, the, the apostles, in the, in the Old Testament, it's a little kind of hope and a glimmer. And lightly mentioned in the New Testament, it's big. It's, it's a, the, all the apostles, as they're driving their car, it's resurrection in their windscreen, right? That's all they can see. All the, they're very excited about it. And for good reason, okay? Up until Jesus, the idea of resurrection was a distant future thing happening at the end of time. That's what Martha said. On the last day, my brother will be raised. On the last day. Okay? But God had done something that no one saw was coming in Jesus. Okay? In the Old Testament, this is all a distant. God, then God did something really surprising. He grabbed the distant future and plonked it in the middle of history where everyone could see it. Okay? It's this vague future thing for the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the tomb opens and Jesus walks out in the middle of history where everyone could see it. Now, now this idea that is a distant future idea and a hope is suddenly dragged into the present moment for the New Testament and said, this is the future hope and it's landed right here, right here on Easter weekend. No one saw that coming. No one, no one uh, really knew what to do with it when it happened. But as they reflected on it over time, they started writing the New Testament and started writing the letters and reflecting on it. We're not talking about going to heaven when we die. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? Often the gospel is presented that way, that the hope of the gospel is one day you're going to die. <laughs> Sounds not very hopeful. But one day you're going to die, and do you want to go to heaven when you die? You need to believe in Jesus, and you'll go to heaven when you die. Now, that, that's true. It's not wrong. And there is a glorious reality to that. Jesus said something like that to the thief on the cross. You know, you, we're going to die today. We're going to die today here on this cross. But today you'll be with me in paradise. You, you, won't, be, you won't be consigned to the grave. You're going to be with me in paradise. All right? Um, for Paul, uh, the apostle Paul, you might remember he was having a pretty rough time of it in Philippians. And he says, you know, uh, things are pretty rough. It would be quite nice to die right now. Anyway, why Paul? That's pretty sadistic. No, because well, living with living, I have Christ. When I'm, to live is Christ. Okay, I'm, I'm not regretting being alive, but life is hard. In living, I have Christ, but dying, I have more Christ. Okay, so it, it is true that as believers, when we die, when we die, we do we do immediately pass into the presence of Jesus in a physical sense. Paul talked about that. Um, and that is gloriously true. Jesus, Jesus wouldn't, he, he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So one day when you're on your deathbed and you're worrying about what's going to happen as I pass through these gates, you need to remember that promise. Jesus has promised never to leave you nor forsake you, including passing through, passing through that, that veil from death to life. Jesus is not going to let go of your hand at that point and, and leave you to your own. Okay? If ever Jesus is going to grab a hold of your hand, it's in that moment. So every child of God needs to know that as we face the grave, which we all will, okay, as 
death and taxes, two certainties in life. We all will face that day. Jesus has promised never to leave you nor forsake you, including especially as we pass into the presence of eternity. All right? Jesus will not let us ha- leave us hanging there. But that's not what we're talking about. That Going to heaven when you die is not the good news that the New Testament talks about. We're talking about, we're talking about the resurrection of the dead. That's a different thing. Going to heaven when we die is an intermediate time. It's an intermediate thing. It's, it's a glorious reality, but it's not the end game. The end game is the resurrection from the dead. So N.T. Wright was a, is a theologian in England. He, he coined a phrase which I really like. He talks about, we're not talking about life after death. We're talking about life after life after death. We're talking about a one day, a one day, a mighty call from Jesus and the, and the, and the grave will give up its dead. People will come back to life again. Their bodies will be reconstituted. So the good news of the gospel is not you get to go to heaven when you die. It's that Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of a great harvest, and that all who are covenantally attached to Christ will one day be raised along with him. Okay? It's going to give life to your mortal body. Your mortal body. What will we do? What will this resurrection life be like? Um, this passage is where we're, we had it there. Uh, gives us the image of seed, seeds and kernels, um, and says that's a great way to think about what our lives here are, are like. There's nothing wrong with a seed. Your body now is seed. Your body now, your body now is a kernel. Your body now is um, full of potential. And uh, as we get older, we feel like my body's lost its potential. No, even when we're in old age and we've got a Zimmer frame and we kind of get it around, you're still seed form. That's the teaching of First Corinthians, that we're still in seed form and that we have to be planted, all right? There's nothing wrong with a seed, but compared to what will become after the seed, it's not amazing. It's not amazing. I took to the tangi this week. I took a little pahutakawa tree that, that had grown, we'd grown from seed. My brother-in-law had kept, got, saw a beautiful flowering pahutakawa tree, thought, I want more of those, got the seeds of it and planted hundreds of these things. And we've got a few of them at home. And it's this lovely little pahutakawa tree. And I said, do you, you know where this came from? And, you know, this came from a really unimpressive looking seed, a little gray seed with nothing going for it. It didn't look impressive, but it went in the ground. And the, and the situation was right for it. And now there's this tree. And it's not even that impressive a tree. You should see what this tree is going to become one day. Over at Cook's Beach, there's one of the biggest Pahutakawa trees in New Zealand. I didn't even know. I didn't even know that. I thought, oh, there's all these Pahutakawa trees. It's one tree. And it hangs out over. It's like, I don't know what the circumference is. It's at least 50 meters across. And it's this massive tree hanging over the, over the sand. And it, where did that come from? This very uninspiring looking little gray seed. Get that image in your head. And Paul is saying, now you understand what your body, what your body's like now. Your body is that little gray seed. And what you're going to be is unthinkable. This is seed time. We think this is as good as it gets. I don't want to die because it's, you know, all our hopes, all our hopes are invested in our seed time. But that's like looking at a corn kernel and saying, this is as good as it gets. Or looking at a pahutakawa seed and going, this is as good as it gets. This life is not as good as it gets. This life is seed time. The seed has to be planted. You must die. You must go into the ground. And what God intends for you is not simply that you make the most 
of the seed time and then the game is over. What God intends for you is that you go into the ground as a seed and he will raise you one day something glorious. The image here, you are sown in a a perishable, perishable body, you'll be raised in an imperishable one. Okay, Jesus' body, after he was raised, will never die again. And that is what God promises to us. We, we go into the grave in perishable bodies. We get wrinkles. We get our know, hair falls out. You know, we get sore, got sore joints. That's what goes in the ground. When God calls our bodies out of the ground, he will transform them and they will be imperishable. They will be fitted for eternity. Uh, we will go into the ground in dishonor. Our bodies compared to, let's not say our bodies are bad, but in terms of honor, in terms of honor, what we will be, this is a dishonorable body. It goes in the ground. God's going to raise it in glory, it says. Dishonor in the ground, raised in glory. Glory means weight. Glory means substance. Glory means heaviness. All right? So if anything's ghost time, it's this life. This is, you say, I don't want to be a ghost. I don't want to, be, I don't want to float away and be a ghost. Well, that's what this life is. What, what is coming is more weighty than this. Um, we are sown in weakness, raised in power. We're sown a natural body. We're raised a spiritual body. That doesn't mean we are spirits. That means we have a body like Jesus, fitted for eternity, all right? So this is the bell ringing for <laughs> the end of time. <laughs> So this is the gospel. I'll finish with this. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose from the dead. Christ rose from the dead. And he rose because he defeated a great enemy. When Christ descended into the grave, I I said at the tongue the other day, he didn't go down there as a victim. He went down there as a live grenade. Have Have you ever seen Men in Black? Okay. There's a big monster in Men in Black, and he gets defeated at the end of the movie by the guy allowing himself to be swallowed by the big monster. And then he blows the thing up from the inside. Don't watch it. Okay, you, you, you've heard all you need to know. But that image, that image captures nicely why Jesus went down into the grave. He went down because he knew that he had to blow the thing up from the inside. Okay, if I'm going to defeat the grave, I can't do it from the outside. I have to go in. And Jesus went in and the grave swallowed him up. Satan and all his, all his henchmen, it says in Corinthians, and all the rulers and authorities gathered around Jesus and thought we're going to kill this guy. And they, and they did. They took the bait. They took the bait. If they hadn't known what they were doing, they never would have done it, is what Corinthians tells us. If they knew what they were doing when they killed Jesus, they never would have killed Jesus because they were destroying themselves. They swallowed the Jesus grenade. Okay? The grave swallowed the Jesus grenade with the pin out. And three days, he busted the grave open from the inside. And he, and he came out. Okay? Jesus punched a hole through death. He defeated our great enemy, death, and he, in the middle of history, is the first fruit of the great harvest to come. Okay, he, I said, I said at the tonguey, he was, he was the tip of the spear. He was the, he was the warrior chief who ran down the valley into the into battle against the great enemy. And by the time all the other warriors catch up with him, he's already done the job. All right, that's that's Jesus for us. He has run headlong into death. He's punched a hole through the other side, and he's and he's gone through and he's carved a path for everyone who will come in his wake. That day is coming sometime in the future. One day, Jesus is going to speak, speak the name of every person who has ever lived, 
And every person who has ever lived is going to come out of the grave because he's Lord of the grave. He, he, he punched a hole in it, okay? That, that's the gospel. If, what, what do you want to happen to you in the grave? Well, I want to come out of it like Jesus, okay? I want to, I want to, I want to weigh through this thing. I want to, the death is a, is a great enemy. It's a, it's a horrible beast that needs to be defeated. And I'll, the, only way, the only way through that path is to follow the trailblazer, to follow the, the warrior chief who is charted the path. That's who Jesus is. And that's the gospel. You want to you want, you want, you want live, live forever? You want to you have, have that eternal life that, that you know in your heart you were made for? There's only one way. Attach yourself to the chief. Attach yourself to the tip of the spear. He knows, he knows the way through the grave. And he, he knows the way out the other side. If you confess with your mouth that he's Lord. If you confess with your mouth, yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So it's an amazing, amazing story. This, this life is seed time. This life is shadow land. This life is hazy. The real is yet to come. And God, God made us for reality. He made us for weight and glory and earthiness. He made us for feasting and sunsets and hammocks in the sun. And he made us for wonderful, wonderful things. He is not going to throw this world away. Okay? What he made, he intends to have. But he intends to have it in its fullness. And Jesus has charted the course for that. That's why we love Jesus. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why Jesus isn't like on the fringe of what we are about here. He is central and he's called us to follow him. Would you please stand?